is the American election system ready to handle 2016? Has the country done what it can to prevent long lines and election breakdowns? Can the U.S. Election Assistance Commission help Democrats and Republicans move beyond the voting wars? On episode 13 of the ELB podcast, we talk to Thomas Hicks, chair of the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, and to its vice chair, Matthew Masterson. So stay tuned for our next episode. Welcome to the ELB podcast. This is Rick Haston of UC Irvine School of Law and the Election Law Blog. I'm joined today by two members of the United States Election Assistance Commission, its commissioner and chair, uh, Mr. Thomas Hicks, who was nominated by President Obama and confirmed by a unanimous uh, consent of the United States Senate in 2014. Before uh, serving on the EAC, Commissioner Hicks served as Senior Elections Counsel and Minority Elections Counsel on the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on House Administration, a position he held from 2003 to 2014. I'm also joined by Commissioner and Vice Chair of the EAC, Matthew Masterson, was also nominated by President Obama and confirmed by unanimous consent of the United States Senate in 2014. Prior to his appointment on the EAC, Commissioner Masterson served as Interim Chief of Staff for the Ohio Secretary of State, a position he held since November 2014. Before that, he was Deputy Chief of Staff and Chief Information Officer, as well as Deputy Director of Elections uh, from 2011 to 2013. Uh, thanks to you both for joining the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. Uh, I thought I'd start with some questions about uh, election administration in the United States and then turn to uh, uh, questions about the Election Assistance Commission itself, much in the same way uh, as I've uh, conducted some interviews with some commissioners on the Federal Election Commission. And so I thought I'd start by asking you each to um, describe the state of election administration in the United States. How do you think things are? Do you anticipate problems, long lines, uh, uh, other kinds of snafus as we head into what is a very contentious election season where we could see high turnout? And uh, I want both of you to address that, but let's start with uh, Commissioner Hicks. Thank you. Um, I anticipate that I always equate elections like highways in terms of traffic flowing, uh, sometimes you're going to have a highway that's going to have a lot more traffic, uh, but it all depends about, upon how that design has been happening and whether or not there is some sort of outlet to uh, alleviate that traffic. I think that, you know, also you're going to have a few accidents here and there, but how you deal with those accidents will be the tailing tale of how the election goes. And I think that part of the uh, functions of the EAC is to provide election officials and other stakeholders the necessary tools to um, help uh, alleviate that traffic or deal with that traffic. And so we've gone around the country talking to election officials about preparing for the primaries and preparing for um, the general election come November. So I think that, you know, like with every election, there's going to be one or two incidents that happen uh, where you might have long lines or you might have a machine or two breaking down. But how the election officials deal with that will tell the tale of how um, the election goes. But I think overall, the election officials are prepared. Uh, they've gotten a lot of information from us. 
on our Be Ready 16 campaign uh, with, um, you know, uh, a lot of things in terms of election workers, in terms of uh, providing um, information about machines and so forth. But, but I, you know, overall, I believe that election officials are prepared and stakeholders are, are getting prepared in terms of uh, the turning people out, uh, getting people to the polls, making sure that those people are registered in their jurisdictions. Uh, so I think that um, we're going to have a very exciting election season. Uh, Commissioner Masterson. Yeah, I appreciate the question. Uh, one of the first things we did uh, this year was hold a roundtable in January uh, with battleground jurisdictions. Uh, and I really think uh, that roundtable, which is available at EAC.gov, was incredibly instructive to uh, the level of pre preparedness that election officials are bringing to the table this year and, and things they need to think about. And, and one of the dominating themes of that roundtable was the idea of con contingency planning uh, and having backup plans for backup plans. And so, uh, one of our areas of focus, and I know an area of focus for all election officials, uh, has been to ask yourself what could go wrong, plan for that, uh, and then ask yourself what else could go wrong uh, and create a plan for that. And so I, I, the answer is I think election officials are ready. Uh, as Chairman Hicks mentioned, there, there are going to be problems somewhere, and it's uh, what is the plan to handle those problems uh, and address them as they become uh, known to the election officials. And, and uh, I think the work of the Presidential Commission on Election Administration in this area uh, that we've been able to leverage uh, up on our Be Ready 16 page uh, at EAC.gov really speaks to that as well. There, there are tools available now. There's a level of preparedness and attention to handling things like lines and measuring and using data to help inform the work of election, official, uh, election officials at this point uh, that the information is there and election officials are using it to prepare. So I, I think they'll be ready for both the expected and the unexpected. And, and I think, uh, generally speaking, it, it'll go smoothly. I was actually going to ask... One great... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say one of the, you know, uh, benefits of this job is that we get to see and talk to so many wonderful people around the country. And I was, I had the privilege of going out to California for the uh, June primary. And one of the things that I thought was absolutely fascinating was um, to see how they dealt with a huge issue that occurred um, in terms of they lost power when they were supposed to start um, having the return ballots and, and giving the results to, um, you know, nationwide since it was, you know, basically the last primary. Um, and so, you know, the, the polls closed at 8 o'clock and they started to uh, have the uh, results go out at like 8.01 and then 8.01 in 10 seconds, the power goes out. Um, and then 10 seconds later, because they had planned for this, if this would have, would have occurred, the backup generator kicked in. And so um, they were on backup power for about four or five hours, but they had planned for what, what would happen if the power had gone out. And I think that that's one of the things that election officials have done in terms of ensuring that they are prepared for uh, contingency planning. Um, you can't plan for everything, but I think that you know planning for the most that you can uh, kind of helps these folks out. Yeah, things seemed like they were less successful in Arizona, particularly Maricopa County, where there were long lines, people uh, online for many hours, some people frustrated to turned away. And that didn't seem to be because of something like an act of God, like a lack of uh, electricity at the last minute. Uh, what do you think accounts for 
the problems in Maricopa and, and how likely are we to uh, be able to achieve the goals of the uh, Presidential Commission, the, the Bauer-Ginsburg Commission, that people should not have to wait more than 30 minutes to be able to cast a ballot in a presidential election? Um, uh, um, Commissioner Masterson? Sure. It, it, it's a great question. And I think uh, the answer is first that in the vast majority of jurisdictions across this country, they're not only achieving that goal of the Presidential Commission, but but exceeding it. Uh, in general, wait times are well below uh, that 30-minute that level and, and uh, customer service needs of the voters are being met. And so I think uh, it's important to, to see the successes. Uh, and that the example of Maricopa County, uh, you know, I, I think it's a really good example of uh, uh, a county uh, preparing and trying to implement something that was intended as a voter service initiative, uh, vote centers, something that I know a lot of folks are supportive of because of the options and flexibility it offers, uh, but not accounting for challenges like a closed primary uh, and what the data speaks to as far as the number of voters that would show up that weren't affiliated with one party or the other and the impact that those provisional ballots uh, had on the lines and the processing. Uh, and so I think election officials from across the country took notice of that and said, okay, that's, the, that's other factors we need to take into account uh, in order to uh, prepare for things like lines and measure it. So if you're going to have vote centers, uh, you need to account for uh, obviously a larger number of folks, but also account for the, the sort of one-offs or unexpected with the provisional ballots uh, and, and measuring that uh, because there's data that the election officials can go back and look at 2008 and 2012 and kind of see how that played out uh, to help inform their resource allocation, poll layout, even parking. Uh, we heard from at our last public meeting from an election official uh, in Seminole County, Florida, Mark, Mike Ertel, who was talking about uh, limiting the number of left turns that he makes people make into uh, uh, polling places. Well, that seems so small, but that kind of time and resource allocation and understanding that matters when you look at things like lines and parking and inconveniences. And that's the level of detail uh, that election officials are working at. Uh, and that's the level of detail we're trying to provide with the resources uh, that we have available at EAC.gov uh, so that folks can, can look and measure uh, prior to the election. Our focus is on preventing the lines now, not measuring the lines if they happen. And so we have a variety of tools and information available uh, to help election officials do that. Uh, Commissioner Hicks, are you confident that in uh, Arizona things are going to go more smoothly in the general election? Um, I'm confident that things will go sm more smoothly in the general election, and I am very happy to say that um, the supervisor of elections, um, Helen Purcell, invited me out for their federal primary in August uh, so that I could see firsthand some of the improvements that they're looking to make um, to overcome the things that happened during their presidential primary. And I'm really looking forward to going out there at the end of uh, August to see this. Um, one of the things that um, I also wanted to talk about is the great resources DAC has done in terms of getting together advocates and election officials. And one of the things, I was just in Orlando yesterday uh, listening to uh, disability rights advocates who were talking about how it's great to have vote centers and great to have these things, these uh, locations in um, community centers and things like that. But one of the things that we need to continually look at 
is the number of available parking places for these folks, um, particularly for folks who have disabilities, who have the place cards, because if I actually live at this community center or if I'm having activities there all day, then it's less likely for me to, to move my car. Um, and so if you have less parking places available for folks who have disabilities um, going into the, the place where they're looking for um, parking, um, and, you know, at, at some point, you know, you don't want them giving up, but you also don't want this contributing to the, the long line aspects of it. So I think of it as a domino effect. So we have to look at all aspects of the voting process to ensure that we can um, make it run, run most smoothly. Now, uh, one thing that podcast listeners might not know is that uh, the structure of the EAC, like the structure of the FEC, uh, generally set, seeks to have uh, an equal number of commissioners coming from uh, Democratic and Republican backgrounds. And Commissioner Hicks, you come from a Democratic background. Commissioner Masterton, you come from a Republican background. And I, I say that by way of introduction to ask a more philosophical question uh, to each of you, uh, starting with Commissioner Masterson, uh, which is, what do you think is the proper federal role uh, in our, our election system? Do you think uh, it's strong enough? Do you think it needs to be stronger? Do you favor uh, more autonomy to the states? Uh, do you think the balance is right? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I appreciate you asking. Uh, my sense is, is really that um, the, the focus for us is, is simply on serving the states. The reality is the states are running the elections. That's going to be true as we head into this election uh, in November. And so our role is simply to provide whatever resources and, and uh, information we can to those uh, state and local election officials. Uh, Commissioner Chairman Hicks has done a great job uh, setting a tone around here at the AC and uh, of, of customer service and customer service for the voters as well as customer service for the election officials to make sure the information is available. And so uh, I think we've done a very good job uh, heading into what is an incredibly important election year, uh, knowing our role uh, as laid out in HAVA, embracing it, and trying to serve those election officials and, and voters as best we can with the information they need. Uh, Commissioner Hicks? One of the things that I, I like to talk about is that I am, of the 300-plus million people in our great country, the only person who has ever worked on HAVA from its inception um, when I was helping to educate elected officials when they were drafting the bill uh, to working in the United States House of Representatives as overseeing it and giving advice to members of Congress as a congressional staffer and now as a commissioner at the EAC uh, helping with its implementation and formation of the uh, Election Assistance Commission itself. So I, I, I take great pride in that and I think that we are a little bit different than the FEC in terms of uh, whenever you know you deal with money. I think that you have a lot more uh, animosity and things like that. And I love all the folks who are working over there. I think they do a great job, uh, but I think that we were all set up to um, do our jobs the best way we can. And I think that we here at the EAC, I can't speak for the folks over at the FEC, but we here at the EAC are doing the best we can in a bipartisan manner to move things forward um, for election officials and state, other stakeholders so that the voters have confidence in the election system itself when we give best practices for the administration of the election itself. I do want to turn to the EAC in a moment, but I, I, just to push you a little bit more uh, philosophically, ideally, if you could, you know, 
pass uh, a, a, a new statute or even a constitutional amendment, would you like to see a stronger federal role, or do you think that it's appropriate that the primary responsibility for running our even our federal elections uh, is with the states? Well, I think that, you know, I had that opportunity uh, when working in Congress to um, recommend to a number of uh, members additional legislation to uh, reform HAVA or reform the election process itself. But I think that, you know, my own personal view is that we, we serve a right role right now. Uh, if, if Congress decides that they want to uh, give us additional powers or take powers away, then that's their prerogative. But I think that we serve a great role right now, a unique role, to help with the administration of elections. Um, so I think that we are right there right now, and, you know, it's not too hot, not too cold. I think we're in the, the Goldilocks um, zone right now. I, I will add, uh, and I agree with Commissioner Hicks completely, uh, that it, it's been pretty uh, interesting and fun to watch uh, the states and localities as the laboratories of democracy, as they're frequently referred to. And online voter registration, I think, is the, the perfect example of that, where, uh, you know, the early adopters like Arizona uh, figured it out, worked through uh, some of the challenges, and then as more and more states learned from it, learned about the cost savings and the integrity, they were able to implement it in a way that best fit with the way that they administered elections. Uh, and online registration uh, has become a, a rousing success for those states, and, and now the majority of states are offering it. Uh, and so it's a really good example of how states adapt and learn from each other uh, and, and fit those innovations uh, into the election administration uh, field. Uh, in order to, to improve services for voters uh, and taxpayers. So it's, it's uh, I think since 2000, we've seen a lot of that take place in a really positive uh, way, and, and online registrations are a really good example of that. And I was going to say that I worked in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives and for the Committee on House Administration, and in 2008, there was a bill that came about to have online voter registration. And so uh, Congress rejected that bill, and didn't pass it, didn't send it on to the president. But the states looked at online voter registration, and now we have 32 states, so over half the states in our union, who now have online voter registration. But that's something that moved you know, f forward because of talk in Congress and talk in the states. Um, so it might not be, you know, we wanted at that point to have one size fit all, but the states would basically do it their own way. Um, but now we have it so that states are doing it their own way, uh, but we're moving forward with having online voter registration. Yeah, let me add that one of the interesting things, if you, if you go to our, our website and you look through some of the materials we've collected from states and locals uh, as part of our Be Ready 16 uh, information, it's really interesting to see how different states and localities handle the exact same challenges and situations all of which are, are good best practices, but they're handled differently uh, because of the uniqueness uh, of the states. And I think there's a lot to be learned uh, that, that problems can be solved in a variety of different ways and in the end still produce really good outcomes for the voters. Uh, and I, I think that's a, a really uh, important lesson that, that, frankly, the information on our website tells. I'd like to turn from election administration generally to the EAC in particular. and. And talking about the EAC in the context of uh, what I've termed the voting wars, the disputes between Democrats and Republicans over how to properly run elections. 
uh, with Republicans uh, stating that there are large problems with voter fraud in the country, Democrats stating there are large problems with voter suppression. And this actually uh, poured into a, the first big controversy at the EAC before both of your tenure involving a controversial report on uh, the uh, extent to which there's voter fraud uh, in the United States. Uh, and I'm wondering, uh, first as a general matter, uh, to what extent do you think the EAC can can transcend this these partisan battles through a focus on the kind of uh, technocratic uh, uh, aspects of election administration that you both have been focusing on? Or is, is politics just endemic to the area right now? Uh, Commissioner Hicks. Well, I think that, you know, with any issue that you ever raise, um, you're going to have folks on the far left and folks on the far right taking the extremes. But I think that you also have, and particularly with this issue as well, you have people in the middle who talk about it as well. So they talk about the fact that there is voter suppression and then there is voter fraud, but there's also uh, ways to combat both of those. Um, and if those things raise to a certain level, then we need to have certain legislation put out there to, to combat that. But I think that the EAC's role is to give best practices on how to um, make sure that elections are administered um, the best way they can be, um, to make sure that voters are able to cast a ballot as long as those voters are eligible to do so and have those ballots counted accurately um, without any sort of hesitation. Commissioner Masterson? Yeah, you know, one of, one of the best uh, parts of this job, uh, as Chairman Hicks mentioned, is being able to travel around the country and talk to, to state and local election officials. And the overwhelming majority of election officials uh, simply want to run a good process that both has integrity and provides access to voters that should be voting. They, they don't view it uh, in that partisan way. They're just simply trying to provide a government service, a, a vital government service uh, to, to the voters. And so as the EAC approaches these challenges uh, and tries to disseminate information out, uh, we try to take that same approach. And, and to answer your question pretty directly, uh, I, I think for the most part, absolutely, we can, we can transcend that because 99% of these issues are not Democrat or Republican issues, but instead uh, good government voter service issues uh, that, that balances can be found. And again, uh, I, I think a really good example of that came from the Presidential Commission on Election Administration. They identified uh, what I think you just termed, uh, not incorrectly, and I, uh, I try to, uh, I'll take it as a positive term, uh, technocratic solutions uh, to, to better serve voters. And I think that's most of the solutions to the challenges that we face in the elections process. Uh, and I think the EAC has really been able to identify those solutions, those best practices, uh, and share them uh, to try to combat both concerns about uh, the integrity of the process and concerns about access in the process. And it's simple things like sharing uh, data and having good information about uh, whether it be maintaining lists or the voting systems uh, in order to properly uh, run the process. And so uh, I think the answer is yes. I think that's been our approach. Uh, both Chairwoman McCormick last year and, and Chairman Hicks this year, uh, frankly, have set that tone throughout the agency. 
Well, you talked about 99% of it being uh, uncontroversial, technocratic. Let me turn to uh, one of those 1% issues, which is on the question of uh, documentary proof of citizenship. Uh, so, uh, so the question is uh, about uh, the 1% of, uh, of cases, or, or an example of one of the 1% of cases where politics does come into what the EAC does. And it has to do with documentary proof of citizenship. So for a number of years, the federal government has battled with uh, the state of Kansas and the state of Arizona over whether or not uh, it is permissible for those states to require that voters who want to register produce documentary proof of citizenship uh, in order to be able to vote. Uh, uh, Chris Kobach, the Republican Secretary of State of Kansas, has said that uh, this documentary proof of citizenship is necessary to prevent uh, voter fraud. Uh, Democrats see this as a means of voter suppression. and. Um, a case already went to the United States Supreme Court on the question of whether or not the EAC's form, which allows people to register to vote by mail, uh, must be accepted by the states for, for federal uh, voting, even without that documentary proof uh, uh, of citizenship. And, uh, and the Supreme Court said yes. And, and the case had been bouncing around. And then at some point in the last year, uh, the um, executive director of the EAC, Brian Newby, had uh, issued some letters stating that, yes, indeed, uh, proof of citizenship could be required by the states of um, Kansas and Arizona, even uh, in the absence uh, of uh, any uh, specific uh, approval of that from, from Congress. The AC would go ahead and do that. It looks like that was not subject to a vote of the commissioners on the commission, and now the matter is in litigation. Um, so let me first ask, I, I know you're in litigation, I'm not sure how much you can say. Uh, first, uh, do you have I accurately described what the nature of the, of the controversy is? Uh, I, think that's a good, I think that's a good synopsis of um, part of the issues that are going on. Um, but I think that, you know, as you were saying, it, it is in litigation. Um, and I think that it would be um, inappropriate for either of us to really comment on it. Um, I have a, a statement that I've put out uh, pretty soon after um, the um, Mr. Newby uh, issued his, uh, his his ruling, and I think that um, that would speak uh, to a number of the issues that you are uh, raising. So, in that statement, if I recall correctly, you said that uh, that the EAC commissioners uh, did not vote on this question, and. Uh, uh, the U.S. government in the litigation, uh, which was uh, just before Judge Leon, um, declined to defend the EAC, and, uh, and Commissioner Kobach intervened. It was just kind of a very unusual situation. Uh, not talking about the merits, which I understand you're not going to talk about, do you expect that this issue is going to be resolved uh, in time for there to be clarity in voting uh, and registration in those states? Uh, b b b as we get into this uh, election period, uh, Commissioner Mastrin, can you can you speak on the on the timing question at least? Uh, far be it for me to try to guess. Uh, you know the federal court process. I've learned in Ohio never to try to guess, but I hope there's clarity. Uh, certainly, we'd love to see clarity uh, on the issue. Uh, and can you say something about what procedures maybe have been put in place to make sure that on these questions going forward, that it'll be the commissioners that will have input into the decision-making rather than these decisions potentially being made by staffers who are not commissioners? Well, I think that that's still one of the issues that is under litigation. And so I think that 
Um, it would be really inappropriate for me to comment on that. Um, but I hope that, you know, with with, 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 Mr. with uh, Commissioner Masterson was saying that we hope that this is resolved quickly and um, definitively uh, so that we can move forward with all the other aspects of what the agency is doing in terms of in our Be Ready 16 campaign, um, going around the country talking to election officials, talking to advocacy groups, and um, just making sure that the election runs smoothly in November. Uh, I think my last question has to do with the future of the EAC. Uh, there, were, there were a number of years uh, uh, where there were no commissioners on the EAC uh, because many Republican members of the House of Representatives took the uh, viewpoint that uh, there shouldn't even be an EAC and there were attempts to uh, defund the agency. Um, Commissioner Masterson, do you think that the uh, current performance of the EAC has given Republicans in Congress the faith that the agency is uh, continuing to do valuable work and that it, uh, in the future will get the support from, from Congress? Huh. Uh, much like federal courts, far be it for me to try to guess, uh, you know, at Congress's temperature, uh, either Republican or Democrat on the EAC. But I will say, I, I think by any objective measure, if you were to go look uh, at the work we've done uh, since 2015 and, and the commissioners being reappointed, uh, we have we have done a lot of work, all focused on trying to, to help election administrators across the country, whether it be improving access for voters with disability, improving the security of the voting systems, uh, working on the next set of voting system standards so that election officials can move technology into, into a modern uh, approach to election uh, administration, uh, whether it be serve, better serving military and overseas voters. Uh, if one were to go to EAC.gov and simply look at all the information we have up, we haven't even talked about uh, the data collection uh, that the EAC does, which I hope, uh, I'd love to, to know from you all, but I, I hope folks in, in academia, uh, political scientists and whatnot, uh, appreciate not only the, the amount of data we collect, but how the data uh, has improved and will continue to improve. Uh, because I, I honestly believe that uh, the future of election administration and really better serving voters is going to be anchored uh, in that EAC data and really assessing uh, how well we're, we're serving voters. So I'd, honestly, I don't know if we're allowed asking you questions, but I'd love your feedback on some of those services that the AC is providing. Well, I can tell you, I, I, I know that uh, empirically based political scientists have been very pleased with uh, the kind of data that the AC is trying to collect and uh, that uh, that kind of approach has been something that social scientists have been calling for for years uh, to deal with problems of long lines and to, and to deal with other problems and try to actually bring some science to bear on the question of how to run elections. I want to give Commissioner Hicks uh, the last word on the future of the EAC. Uh, wh where do you see things in five to ten years? Well, hopefully I'm still here <laughs> in five years or so. Uh, my term ends uh, in um, about a year and a half, and I hope that uh, if I am not here, that the EAC's future is still bright. Um, looking out the window here, you can just see the sunshine, and I think that, you know, if we can continually provide information to election officials and provide information to stakeholders, um, I think that you know, the, the future will continue to be bright. Uh, one thing that I am very proud of that we've done this year, 
that I got a lot of positive feedback on in going to Orlando was uh, something that the AC had never done before. And we had put out a uh, disability voter rights card. And it's some, a card that um, folks can put in their purses or in their wallets, and they, they can just take it with them just to have a refresher of what their rights are when they go to the polls. But we also looked at the fact that, you know, not everyone can see and that not, not everyone has a great vision. At, and, and so we did the card as well in Braille and large print. And so we're also looking at doing it in a, C, a QR code now. Uh, but I think little things like that, that aid election um, folks who are going to vote, um, is one of the reasons that Congress decided to make sure that the AC is here to help with the administration of elections. And I think that, you know, if we can help one or two voters, or if we can help one or two election officials to improve their elections, then I think our job has been accomplished. And so I think that the, the future is bright for us. Um, and, you know, I keep saying that, you know, I didn't know what things were going to look like 10 years ago looking now. You know, now we have iPhones and we have all this other technology that we all just walk around with. Um, but 10 years ago, we didn't know it was, that, we, that we would have that. But hopefully, you know, 10 years from now, we'll have something even more innovative and more amazing that that can help us not only with life but also with these uh, things that we take you know um, as our individual rights and that's one being voting Prof professor Hassan can I ask you when you talk to your students what what's their impression of the voting process and what they'd like to see well they're all out in California where I think it's not a battleground state and it's a state uh, with lots of convenience and so I don't think they have the same kind of experience that uh, at least most of them, uh, that, uh, that are experienced in other parts of the country. They have a generally positive view uh, of the election system. But as I go around the country and I speak to various groups, I, I hear very different things. Uh, and uh, the more contentious the place, uh, the more likely it is that someone will complain about the voting system. Uh, so it's only so much you can take politics out of the system, it, uh, it seems to me. Yep. yep. Well, thank you both for taking the time to, uh, to speak on the, on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I learned a great deal from both of you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. The ELB podcast is supported by the University of California at Irvine School of Law, but I am solely responsible for its content. The technical producer of the ELB podcast is Jared Hassenklein. The theme music is the composition Jazz, by the band BFN, used under Creative Commons license. Join us next time for the ELB podcast. I'm Rick Hassan. Goodbye.